Welcome to the Expat Podcast, the place to learn all the secrets that'll make your life abroad more rewarding. And now your host, Bill Angelos. Okay, welcome everybody to the first episode of the Expat Podcast. With me on this episode, I have Steve Roller, founder and admin of the Facebook group Cafe Writer and author of the book, The Freelancer Manifesto. Steve, welcome to the show. Hey, Bill. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm really looking forward to uh, to talking about this stuff today. So thanks, thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Super happy to have you here. One of the things that I, I talked to you about with starting this podcast was that I want to make it uh, accessible to people who want to become an expat, not just have this podcast for people who are already expats, but I want to get encourage people to become expats. One of the reasons why I wanted you to be on the show was because you have a lot of experience uh, with freelancing. And I know, I know after reading your book, you hate the term freelancing, but hopefully you'll let me use this, uh, you know, as we're talking about it in the, in the interview. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as we maybe will get into in the conversation here today, I'm not big on the word freelancing, but absolutely. It's, it's a, it's a word, it's a term everybody understands. So for simplicity and convenience and the sake of our conversation, feel free to <laughs> feel free to use it as much as you want. Absolutely. Okay. Now, for someone who hasn't yet taken the plunge into, into freelancing, what can you tell them about it? How, how has it changed your life, both positive and negative? Yeah, well, first of all, it will, it will change your life. I, I came from a world of sales. My background was in corporate sales. I had regular jobs for 17 years, good jobs. I wasn't running away from a job or anything like that. But one of the reasons that I chose to get into freelancing and running my own deal was that I really enjoy traveling and we'll probably talk about this some more, but I love traveling. And as you probably know, with most typical corporate jobs, you don't get a whole lot of time off. I got, yeah, maybe three, four or five weeks a year off, but only generally one week at a time. And it really wasn't enough for my tastes. I wanted to travel more with my wife and kids. And so that's the reason, one of the big reasons I got into it. So it will, it definitely, it, it affects your life in so many ways, both positive and negative. I guess just a few things positive I'll mention first. You know, when when you are become a freelancer, you're in control. You'll have freedom. You'll have time freedom. You'll have location freedom. If you have big ideas, you can put them into action. A lot of times when you work for an employer, you may have all kinds of ideas, but <laughs> they won't let you put them into action. Um, you won't have to wait to do the things that you really want to do. You don't have to get permission from anyone. And you don't have to pay your dues and climb the typical corporate ladder. If you want to give yourself a 20 to 30% raise, you can or more. So it's it's completely, I, I just love it, Bill. I mean, I've been doing it full time now for 10 years. And to me, it's just, it was just completely liberating. And it's just, it's just a, a very unique feeling of freedom. You get to do things on your terms and your schedule. But there's some negatives too. It's quite a few negatives as I talk about in my book, The Freelancer Manifesto. Number one, it's all on you. It's up to you to make things happen and to, to generate income. There's no paycheck twice a month. There's no, you're not going to have insurance. You're going to have to kind of figure out a way to do that. There's no benefits. There's no boss. Now, a lot of people think, well, no boss. Isn't that a positive? Isn't that a plus? 
a lot of people don't like their boss and they're running away from a, you know, a job and a boss they don't like. But, you know, the thing is not having a boss is not always good because there's not anyone to hold you accountable. And I think that's the biggest thing that people have to get used to, especially if they come from a very structured setting, is that when you're on your own, nobody's holding you to deadlines. And if you don't do something, if you don't get something done, nobody nobody really cares unless you have a partner or a spouse and and they're, you know, hold, you know, keeping you accountable. But so so that while there's some definite positives, there's some 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 negatives too. I would say it takes some serious it takes some serious self-starting power to do this. Most people, I, I really, I hate to say this, and I don't want to discourage anyone, but a lot of people don't have what it takes, contrary to what everyone thinks and hears, that anyone can do it. People see the the lifestyle stuff, the travel, the income opportunity, the freedom, all that, and people are really drawn to that, but they don't necessarily see the the negative side. So. Yeah, it'll it, it, it's it's a powerful thing. It'll change your life, but there's pros and there's cons. So it goes both ways. Yeah, I, I, I can't agree more on that. You know, my biggest problem hits right to your negative. It's it's I'm not a self starter. I have a hard time self starting. If there's a YouTube video, boy, <laughs> like everything everything is off. You know, I'm I'm watching I'm watching YouTube videos for half an hour, two hours, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't do anything. And and here it is two and a half, three hours later. I just feel terrible because I just, you know, I just waste the day sometimes just not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And it's, it's, it's my own fault and it's, you know, sink or swim and you are the boss. You don't, if you don't motivate yourself, nothing gets done. Yeah, absolutely. It's and you're typical, and you know, and I'm I'm not saying all this stuff as if I've got this all down completely either. I mean, I have, I have my moments too where I'm procrastinating and putting things off, and you know, so, but it's it's just one of the challenges, and you you recognize that, and I recognize that, but um, but yeah, it's uh, it's easy to 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 kind of waste away. <laughs> Uh, you could waste away hours a day if you if you, if you wanted to, you know. Yeah, so easily. Yeah. Speaking about your book, a lot of what you write in the first couple of chapters involves doing. You talk about people who spend too much time planning or learning, and you encourage doing as opposed to that, you know, more so doing than than learning. It's a pattern I've seen a lot with digital marketers where they just consume course after course after course, and that's all they do. They just get in that pattern, that rut. Because they, I don't know. I guess they seem like a, afraid to to go beyond that and actually put themselves out there. Is there something that you could tell them to help push them from that learning m- mindset into actually going out and doing something and actually getting that paycheck? Yeah, that's that's a great question, Bill, and that's a good observation too. You're right. A lot of people do have this tendency to just consume course after course and they think well I'm not quite ready but if I take one more course then I'll then I'll know this and then I can put myself out there really it's just a lot of it is just avoidance it's procrastination but I guess here's what I would say on that I think I think you really have to take stock of your skills and where you are and 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 I think I really think this is it I think what we have to do is we have to find clients who meet the level of expertise of where we're at. I truly believe if you've got some semblance of skills, you've got some talent, that there, there are clients for everyone at every level. 
The problem is a lot of times people right out of the gates, they go after the big clients because they want to make things happen fast. They want to make the good money fast. So they go after the, the bigger clients, the clients that everyone's, or those are the clients they want. They maybe don't go after them, but those are the clients they want. And that that's a problem. So I think people should kind of match up going after the, the audience and the type of clients that would match up with, with their skill level. So and I guess maybe this is a separate thing too, but it kind of ties in. But one reason people procrastinate and keep taking course after course is because they just, they don't feel confident. And I think that's because they think they've got to go after these really good clients. But how about this? You know, maybe don't go after the big dog clients. Go after clients who you can help, who you really can help, the ones who will appreciate your skills and can maybe afford your reasonable fees in the beginning. I think, so this is, I think, a problem. Everybody wants things to happen real fast and they're maybe not willing to start at a small level. I would rather see people take one course, learn one thing, and put it into action, even if that means starting small. Even if that means taking on small dollar clients, small projects, and maybe having clients and projects grow with you as you develop more skills. And instead of taking course after course and paying for those courses and paying for them with your time and your money, how about learn something, put it into action, and get the practice and experience on the job while you're actually helping people, I don't, I don't mean to say that, you know, you should fake it or pretend that you're something that you're not, but there's clients that would appreciate whatever level you're at. You can help them while you're doing that. You get experience, you gain confidence. And then the next time you go after a client that's a little bit higher level or you go after, or you raise your fees a little bit. So I think it's, I think it's better for people to just get, get out there and talk to people and, um, and just get the ball rolling. So I think people are, it's it's a couple things, Bill. I'm, I'm kind of saying a few things here, but just to summarize, I think it's one is that people don't feel confident about their own knowledge and their skills. And then the other thing is I think people are not uh, confident just going out and talking to people. That's probably the biggest thing holding people back. They may have decent skills, but they maybe don't have the experience talking to people selling themselves and selling their services. I agree. That's what people need to do. So that's that's what no that's what nobody tells you about freelancing. We talk about, you know, whatever type of freelancing we're talking about. I'm I'm a copywriter, so I talk about copywriting and marketing, digital marketing a lot. But nobody tells us before we get into this that you're going to have to sell. It's more than simply having skills and creative talents. You have to talk to people, you have to have conversations and get them on board. You have to sell yourself. That's not easy. No, I completely agree. And and I think a lot of people have that problem where they just can't sell themselves. They can sell a product or a service, but when it actually comes to selling themselves to a client, I see a lot of people, they would rather just get that other course. And, right. Uh, you know, I think I think part of it might be like imposter syndrome. People, even people who who know what they do well, they just they they're afraid that like they're going to get called out for for being a fraud, even though they actually know what they're doing and they do it really well. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> this is off the topic a little bit here, but related to that, just recently, I've just I've just kind of come to the conclusion lately, Bill, that nobody knows what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> even even the, the even the so-called experts, you know, I'm just seeing things behind the scenes and hearing people talk, and I've been to some big events. 
some big marketing events recently where I've actually had heard people like from the stage admit that they don't know what they're doing and they're making it up as they go along. So to me, that was actually comforting to hear big name people, big name marketers and people who I really look up to and admire say that, you know, hey, we don't have it all figured out. We're making it up as we go too. So, you know, so this wow. imposter syndrome, even the big name people have that. Yeah. So. And I think the more you know about a subject, the more that you have the potential to have that set in, that imposter syndrome. It, it seems like the people who, who know the least seem to have the most courage to go out there and, and <laughs> sell themselves, not knowing that they don't know what they're actually doing. Yeah, that's, that's true. You're right. I think, yeah, I think sometimes the people with less knowledge are just, <laughs> yeah, they're more, I don't know what it is. That's kind of a, yeah, that's... Um, that's interesting. That's a good, <laughs> good observation. Yeah. In the book, you you talk honestly about uh, how freelancing actually requires work, um, and you talk about how you just can't sit on a beach with a laptop. And I can't even tell you how many times I've seen courses or webinars where people you know have pictures of themselves sitting on some tropical island. Oh, look at me! I got the laptop lifestyle. Right. <laughs> Do you see a lot of people that join your Facebook group who actually think this is how running a business works or this is the expectation that they have going into into freelancing? <laughs> actually, yes, I, I do. Um, I still do. But I think people are starting to get the real picture. At least I'm doing my part to try to get the real picture out there. But yeah, people are still delusional. I, I, I mean, I was kind of. I, I've been at this for 10 years now full time. But I was kind of because I had seen so many programs that said anyone can do this. And as you allude to the, you know, the pictures of the, the beach, laptop on the beach, the laptop lifestyle, all that kind of stuff. And of course, the people selling you programs are going to tell you how easy it is. They're just trying to sell you a program. But the fact is, as you know, Bill, not not everyone can do this. This is not easy. And the question that I always pose to people is, you know, would you want to get involved in a business with a skill that anyone can quickly learn. I mean, what good would that be? Because very quickly, fees would get driven down and the skill, kind of like what's happened to copywriting and content writing in some ways, it gets, it gets commoditized. So if, if something is presented as easy, and, and if it, in some cases, if it truly is an easy skill to learn and develop, that's not going to be a real valuable skill to have. So I would rather get into something that is not easy to learn, not easy to master, but really, you know, pour myself into it and be diligent about learning it and learning this new skill and this craft and present myself as somebody that um, that is, I don't know, somewhat, you know, that has some skills that not everybody has. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so anyway, so yeah, I think, a lot of people are still kind of uh, delusional about how business works, but that's one of the things I've tried to do in my group too, is talk about not just the craft of writing, not just the craft of copywriting per se, but actually what, you know, running a business. So we try to, and I try to steer the conversations and bring the conversation back as much as I can to, Hey, what does it take to actually run a business? And there's other core foundational skills that you need to run a business more than just the talent that you might have for copywriting, for example. Mm -hmm. So, but that's why we have to, and I talk about this throughout my book, but that's why we have to stand out. We have to do things differently. We have to look and sound different and offer more than just, in this case, copywriting skills. We have to come up with ideas 
and solve business problems. That's that's really what it's all about. I, I couldn't agree more. This segues great into my next question. You know, at the end of part one of your book, you really help readers to take a step back and see like the bigger picture. A lot of people see what they do as only that thing. They see themselves, for example, like a, a wedding photographer. That's what they see themselves as what they do. But you, you tell them to step back and you open up their eyes to see that's just a narrow view of what they can be offering. It leaves a lot of money on the table because they could be really providing a lot of other follow-up services and a lot of other you know add-on services that could be done just beyond that. Does it surprise you how many people just don't even realize how much more is out there that they could do just to stay out of that commoditized you know freelancer area? Yes, uh, it definitely. It does surprise me. Yes, I, I think people get in this narrow lane of what they do because we've been told we should be specialists, niche down, focus on one core service. And, and I talk about some of that sometimes too. But what people really want, what clients want are solutions to their problems. They don't want copywriting. They don't want a new website. They don't want a series of email marketing messages. They want their problem solved. So yes, we need to we really need to take a step back and take a bigger overall, big overview picture of it, of it all and figure out really what those problems are and help them solve them in unique, creative ways that they wouldn't have thought of without us. Just a real quick example I'll give you. I had a recent client, a real estate client, a couple that they're realtors here in Madison, and they hired me to write a 30-second radio spot for them, which I did, but... I wanted to also help them with a whole bunch of other things in their marketing. So that was just one piece of the puzzle. So beyond that, I also helped them with figuring out, hey, what's what's a way to generate leads on your website? Could we could we come up with a special report as as we call it in the business, as you know, a lead magnet? Could we come up what what kind of lead magnet could we come up with? What kind of follow-up email sequence could we have? What um, what topics are you going to talk about on your podcast and on this radio show that you do? So I took a big overview picture of what they were doing, even though they only came to me and asked for one thing. I turned it into a much bigger project and helped them in in much in a much better way than just writing a thirty second radio ad spot for them. So yeah, so I think bottom line, Bill, I think we need to. And this is something I really try to convey in my book, in my web, on my website, in my community. We need to be idea generators and problem solvers above all else. If people can really see themselves more as idea generators and problem solvers, that that's kind of a starting point where, where we need to, to be with people. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Because what you did is you took, you know, a, a, a job and you potentially, you know, piggyback that into so much more that you can offer them to help them. And and that for someone who's just starting off as a, as a freelancer, you know, that that could be an extra paycheck or three paychecks that, that can help them, you know, not have to rely upon that that day job that they wanted to quit. Totally. And this is something that really, it doesn't even, I, I can't even articulate like what specific skills it is that I applied there, but it's just kind of thinking about their situation, what they do, how they're trying to get leads and how they're trying to generate new clients and just kind of coming up with solutions and just looking at it from putting myself in the in the shoes of their typical client and I'm thinking well how would I want to be talked to what kind of message would I want to hear and see and so it's just kind of I, I think it's just I don't know thinking creatively and again going back to that idea of just being a problem solver 
and an idea generator. That's that's really what I did for them, and they they thought it was pretty cool that I had these ideas. Yeah. I, I think one of the things that's really people don't think enough about when they think about being an entrepreneur or a freelancer is is how much you have to problem solve every day just to just to get the next paycheck. So much of my day is 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 spent looking at what problem do I have and how can I get this solved. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that I like about Facebook groups like yours is there are just so many people in there and they've got always new ideas and are always posting about their experience, what happened with one client or what they use to, to, to generate more ideas. It's, it's nice to see these other things and, and help use that to springboard more ideas for myself. Yeah, it's useful. And, and, and to tell you the truth, I, you know, I, I'm the founder of the group and I'm in the administ- one of the administrators and I oversee it all, but man, there's not a day that goes by that I don't learn something new from, from somebody in my group that's just, you know, somebody posts something. I'm like, oh, I never thought about that or a comment that somebody makes. So it's been a, it's been a super valuable learning experience for me having this Facebook group and my private community too, just learning things from other people. And I, and that's, that's one of the things I like about and that's one of the reasons why I started the community is just as a collaborative kind of thing. It wasn't a, it wasn't so much a top-down guru-led like teaching from the mountaintop or anything like that. It was just more, hey, hey, where can we let's let's get a group of people together, a bunch of freelancers together, a bunch of entrepreneurs, solo operators who are all doing similar things but in their own way, and let's learn from each other and let's give each other feedback and ideas and advice and encouragement. And it's become a it's become a really special place. But but I learn something every day from from the people in my own group. Well, your group is one of the better ones that I've been to. It, it doesn't seem like you have those people who are trying to start drama or anything like that, which makes it even better. <laughs> we shut that stuff down pretty quick when it happens, <laughs> which is great. In your book, you you reference Willie Loman a character from the book, Death of a Salesman. And this kind of goes off the last, what you were talking about before, but what do you think a freelancer needs to do to avoid living past their usefulness? Do you think that involves constantly learning or what What else do you think it might be? Yeah, good question. And by the way, side note, I was kind of debating whether or not to throw that reference into the book because I'm like, man, am I dating myself here? Is anybody going to know what Death of a Salesman by Arthur Miller is, and who are they going to hear? <laughs> People are going to have to Google Willie Loman and figure out who this was. But in any case, I think the analogy worked. I think we need to constantly be keeping an eye on the business landscape, seeing who the new players on the scene are, watching how clients are changing the way they do business, and figuring out where our, or whether our skills are going to get replaced by lower cost service providers or even nowadays artificial intelligence so things are changing fast and if we don't keep up with technology tools and how business is being conducted we'll get left in the dust you can't sit and learn something new for a year or two maybe like you could 10 years ago and then put it into action by the time you do it might be irrelevant and i tell people this all the time copywriters that is Whatever your business looks like right now, even if you're completely situated and doing well with your core service, offer, audience, message, all of that, you've got that all figured out, it will probably look completely different in three to five years, and you should probably be adapting and pivoting, I'd say maybe every 12 to 18 months or so. That could include tweaking or redoing your website, considering new services, maybe rebranding, we need to move quick and adapt 
and, and and actually that's one advantage of being a solo operator. We're able to do that much easier than a big company can. So I guess to answer your question, what do we need to, to do to avoid living past our usefulness? Yeah, it's learning, but it's also, I think even more than learning new skills, Bill, it's just really keeping an eye on what everybody's doing, what what your competitors are doing, what the what your clients are doing, what's happening with business as a whole. And, and that might be even just reading outside of and keeping keeping it tabs on what's happening outside of your niche or outside of your industry. So, I mean, give you an example. I, I read the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times business section every day, actually both papers all through, just not, not cover to cover, but I scan them both and I read and I, I just keep an eye on a lot of things that's going on and that are going on in business and, and just the world as a whole, just to keep up on trends and just to kind of get a feel for like, you know, where is all this going? Am I going to, is this, is what I'm doing? And I'm constantly asking myself, is what I'm doing right now going to even be relevant a year from now? Or am I going to have to start doing things a little differently? So I guess just keeping up on everything that's out there is the biggest thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, You talked about uh, change and you talked about AI specifically with copywriters. I know in your group, in other copywriting groups, that that's a topic that keeps getting brought up again and again about every couple, every other month. <laughs> Are you afraid of the AI that can, that can write its own copy in, in a year or two? Or what do you, what do you say to the, the copywriters of tomorrow who are just starting right now learning the craft about AI and, and what it will mean for their business in the next five years? Oh man, that's a good question. I actually, you know, a lot of copywriters would say, oh, there's no way a machine, artificial intelligence will ever, you know, they, that could never do what we do in this and that. Well, actually, I don't, I, I believe that it can and it will. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, you know, and I think there's, I mean, there's, I mean, it's not there yet, but I mean, there's certainly like headline generators and and, you know, I mean, there's certainly content marketing, artificial intelligence that can write good content just as well as most writers. So I think the day is going to come when a lot of the actual writing will actually get done by artificial intelligence. I really do. So for someone getting into copywriting today, I would say, yeah, it's still it's still important and it's still going to be a skill and it's still going to be necessary. And a lot of the people that need good copy aren't going to, you know, maybe have the tools. They're not going to have the accessibility or they're not going to be able to afford the artificial intelligence, whatever it takes. I mean, it might be a long time before that all becomes mainstream, just like self-driving cars. It's going to be 10 or 20 years before that becomes mainstream. But it's something to consider. And but what what isn't going to be replaced is just the way we think creatively. And this is, this is why I go back to just this idea of, Hey, how about just instead of thinking of yourself strictly as a copywriter, think of yourself and just position yourself as just assume the role of problem solver. That's something that a computer and artificial intelligence isn't necessarily going to have the the brain power to do. I I don't know. I agree. You know, so I think the copy itself, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to be tasked with writing 50 headlines or trying to find the best headline or trying to find the best lead or, or even the whole, a whole landing page or something or writing a content marketing article. What we are going to, you know, be tasked with is, hey, what's the read on the audience? What are people thinking? What's your, what are your observations on this? What's your gut feeling about what are people thinking? What are their fears? What are their hopes? You know, and so 
there's always going to be a place for people that can think that way. I agree. I think if you're a problem solver, that you're going to be able to find solutions that the computer just can't do. I mean, and and I think that 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 self-driving cars are a lot closer than what you alluded to. But as far as the the actual writing goes, I think that we're within a couple of years away from having them just be uh, great copywriters writing stuff that's yeah. that's world class, like like the you know some of the experts are now. <laughs> but I don't. Yeah. I think they're going to be single minded, single focused. I don't think that they're going to have you know, the ability to go deeper or wider like 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 a person can and look at other aspects that need to be tweaked or need to be focused on. They're just not going to have that. And that's going to be an extra, you know, 10, 15 years of, of development to get the AI to that point where they can possibly compete with a human on that scope. Yeah, that's a good point. I, and, I, and you might be right about the self-driving cars, too. It's probably not 10 to 20 years off. I, yeah. I, probably a little delusional on that too but uh yeah it'll be it'll be interesting to see how all this stuff plays out but i think there's you're not just talking about freelancing not just talking about copywriting and digital marketing but i think there's always place in the economy for people who are smart intelligent can read people can get along with people can persuade people those are kind of universal foundational skills that will be useful however our our economy and technology plays out in the coming years. Also in your book, you have uh, something which I thought was, was pretty good. Uh, read, think, and talk to interesting people. So, so <laughs> what have you done for each of these recently? I talk about that in the book and I've written blog posts about that. And I, I sometimes joke about that. People ask me what I do and they're, I'm like, well, I read I sit at the coffee shop and think and sometimes write things down and I talk to interesting people <laughs> and that really is what I do. But to answer your question, uh, reading, I'm always got, I'm always in the middle of about five books, but one that I'm currently reading that I just, and I got through about half of it today is a book called Someday is Not a Day in the Week by a lady named Sam Orn. And Sam is actually, she's the author of a few other books, one called Pop create the perfect pitch title and tagline for anything, um, which is a great book for copywriters. But she, in fact, helped me come up with the title for my book, The Freelancer Manifesto. Hmm. Uh, (laughs) Funny quick story aside here. You mentioned Willie Loman before. So I had this, what I thought was a clever idea to call my book, Death of a Freelancer, (laughs) (laughs) like death of a salesman, death of a freelancer. And I had a I had a Skype call with Sam Horn a couple of years ago when I was writing my book. And she's like, Steve, I think you might want to not use that title. <laughs> and we brainstormed and we came up with the Freelancer Manifesto, and I'm glad we did. So anyways, but her book uh, I'm reading right now, Someday is Not a Day in the Week. It's about, it's about not putting off what you really want to do. She's big on finding out what makes people happy or unhappy, what they're doing about it and why. It's a great book and it's really resonating with me and, and it very much jives with my philosophy on work and travel and life. So that's that's a book that I'm reading right now I'm really enjoying. Think. Let me think about this. It is just kind of a philo- philosophical thing that I've, I've been on this big minimalist kick lately in all areas of my life and it is really it's really helping me focus in on what's important. Not only minimalism with material things, with stuff. I am kind of a minimalist that way too because I like to travel a lot and I don't like to be bogged down with a lot of stuff. So over the last few years, I've been like either giving away or selling or just getting rid of a lot of stuff. But also paring down like on the number of people that I'm following, the number of 
emails that come into my inbox, the number of strategies I'm using to build my business, the number of work activities I'm doing every day. So I've been thinking a lot about and incorporating this idea of minimalism. And in fact, I've even started using a term marketing minimalism. It's a domain name I own, by the way. (laughs) I haven't haven't put it to use yet, but marketing minimalism, I think is going to be a really, it's going to be something I'm going to flesh out and develop. But um, so that's something I've been thinking about lately. And I guess along with that too, this kind of goes along with that. I'm big on routines and schedules. And I, I find that the more that I stick routines and schedules, the simpler I keep my life and the better I function. So that all kind of ties in with this whole minimalism thing. So reading, thinking, the other one, talking to interesting people. I'll tell you what, Bill, and this is one of the things I love about, you know, this Cafe Writer Facebook group and this Cafe Writer community that I have, this private community. Every, every day I am talking to behind the scenes, not just, I'm not talking about just Facebook conversations and conversations in my private forum, but I'm having behind the scenes calls with people, Skype calls, Zoom calls, phone calls, coffee shop meetings too, in person sometimes. But the people in the cafe, I'm having like just, I've got some, there's some really smart, interesting people and I'm having conversations daily with people in my own group. And also just a small circle of advisors and people that I trust, interesting people that I'm networking with on a regular basis, people like I just mentioned, Sam Horn, authors other authors that I've been meeting. And I think a lot of this came about because I wrote a book and I published a book that I've been able to connect with other people who've done the same thing. Another guy that I recently met and talked to, a guy named Todd Herman, wrote a very interesting book called The Alter Ego Effect. I had a chance to talk with him about that in person a couple months ago in San Diego. And uh, so that that's kind of cool. So and this is one reason why I'm a big advocate of people writing a book. I think when you write a book, you start meeting and interacting with a different crowd of people and often other authors and people that are doing cool things. So, so yeah, I'm just talking to interesting people on a constant daily basis, whether it's people in my cafe, people I'm trying to network with, other authors. And, and of course, I find my clients. <laughs> of course, I find my clients quite interesting too. Whether it's, and I've, I've got people in various, you know, I don't have one particular niche that I work in, but you know, whether it's these real estate agents or this guy that's a photographer that I just got done working with or whoever. I'm just, you know, I've got some cool clients too. But um, those are three things that I definitely spend a lot of time doing, reading, thinking, and talking to interesting people. <laughs> that, was a, that was a great answer. Yeah, no, I, I can't get enough talking to interesting people. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the podcast is because I, I find your story very interesting. The things that you do, things that you talk about, you're always, you're very public in, in your Facebook group about your life and what's going on with the business. And, and you just, you're, you're always out there to share. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate you saying that. And I, I'm, I'm glad that uh, that you've noticed and other people have noticed. And it's, I, I enjoy what I'm doing. It's very, it's rewarding in, in a lot of ways, just the, you know, certainly from a business standpoint, but just the relationships I've developed and just, the, I don't know, just, it, it just adds a, a richness and a depth to the quality of my life. So anyways, I appreciate you saying that. You were just talking about one of the domains you have registered, Marketing Minimalism, I think you, is what you said? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In your book, you talk about 80 plus domains that you own and talk about future books. You know, it said something, something like you wanted to have a, a book every other year written. How are these projects coming along? Yeah. Um, well, good, good. Some are, some are on the back burner while I focus on uh, building my cafe writer community and my membership site. But yeah, I've got some things that I'm, that I've started. My next book is going to be not a 
not a business book, but a, a travel book. You know, I like to travel and I lead these uh, tours to Ecuador every year. And it's a different style of traveling. So this next book is called Slow Immersion Travel. And then the subtitle is A Deeper, Richer, More Lasting Experience in a World of Drive-By Bucket List Tourism. That's a long subtitle, but the, the title is Slow Immersion Travel. And it really, it really ties in well with my Ecuador excursion tours, which I run every summer. It, it's about kind of an off-the-beaten-path style of traveling, getting to know locals, soaking in a place more than you would with a big tour group, and less of checking off sites for the sake of seeing certain things quickly that are maybe are on your bucket list that you want to just check off. It's more immersive, more longer-lasting travel memories. Um, so I'm writing that book to just really put out my travel philosophy, which has evolved and developed over the last 30 years that I've been traveling the world. So that's that's one thing, and I think that, that will help my Ecuador tour business and some other things that I'm doing, but that's one thing. I've got a uh, an idea for a TV show, and I haven't quite fleshed this out exactly, but I'm working on packaging, and I've got some friends that are filmmakers, and they're, they're documentary filmmakers here in Madison, and they I've worked with them a little bit on some other things, but I'm working on packaging and producing with them a TV talk show type of show almost and I don't know if this will work or if there would be any demand for this or not, but this is just the idea in my head, is almost like a Tonight Show style or James, um, uh, who's that guy on Late Night TV, James, I can't think of his name, he's the British guy. Yeah, I'm not sure what his, I know who you're talking about, I just don't know his last name. Yeah, he's always got that carpool karaoke. Yeah, 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 carpool karaoke guy, yeah, James, whatever his name is. <laughs> yeah. um, but funny but you know kind of a fun and lively show but business focused instead of entertainment focused i'm not sure how exactly i'll get that done or whether it'll be some obscure late night cable station or launch it on youtube to start with and then try to pitch it to networks or something i don't know but i really think it could work you know we're in a visual world and while youtube is you know certainly extremely hot and will continue to be i'm going to be developing a lot of stuff on youtube this year too I, I want to actually take it to another level and bypass a lot of YouTube players, or, or, or better yet, maybe even do both, um, do both YouTube and TV. So that's another project that I'm working on. And then uh, regarding all those domain names, yeah, I do have, um, I have plans for a lot of them, but I'm actually paring down, Bill. Um, believe it or not, I'm down to about 45 domain names now. So <laughs> I let... Uh, it's, a, it's actually a good thing, I think. Oh, completely. I was like going too crazy on domain. I, I did have like, I had like 105 at one point, but I've been letting certain ones expire. I'm like, okay, if I, if I haven't used them and I don't have plans to use them in the next 12 months, I'm letting them go. I was, I was almost becoming a domain name hoarder. And that is like the antithesis of my minimalist philosophy. So <laughs> yeah, I was thinking it was a bit, it was a bit ambitious of you to have so many domains. <laughs> it was like me buying, buying new software for my business. It's like, th there's only so many tools that I can use. And if I'm not going to use it in the next three or four months, if I can't yep. justify it, I, I just can't, I got to stop buying them. Yeah, totally. So anyway, so yeah, to answer your question, um, yeah, so I've got, I've always got some, a bunch of irons in the fire, but mainly focusing on the, um, I'm a cafe writer business and website membership site, but along with that, the uh, the slow immersion travel book is is going to be happening this year, and then this TV show, we'll see where that goes. 
Okay. Well, I can't wait to read the book. You know, my, my thing is travel. I love to, to go everywhere. I, I've never been to Ecuador, though. Anyone who knows you, anyone who has, you know, read your posts in, in your, your Facebook group, they know that Ecuador is your place. <laughs> yeah. Why Ecuador? Well, I first became interested. I took my first trip there seven years ago. I am a big fan. I've been reading this publication called International Living for probably about 14 years now. And International Living is the print publication and online that talks about retiring in different locations. I'm nowhere near retirement age, and I don't really believe in the concept of retirement. But but they got me thinking about different places to live. And they had touted, you know, at one time they were really big on Buenos Aires and Argentina. They've talked about Colombia. They've talked about all kinds of different places around the world. But they started talking about Ecuador back in, I don't know, 2008, 2009, 2010, somewhere in there. And I just thought, this sounds really interesting. I had never been to Ecuador. So I, we went down there. I, I took my wife and our kids. We went down there for the whole summer. Well, not, actually, not the whole summer that first time. We went down there for four weeks to check it out. I wanted to see if what International Living was reporting and writing about was actually true or if they were embellishing for the sake of selling Ecuador as a destination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I found out that they weren't embellishing, that everything that they said was true. Hmm. It's a it's a beautiful country. It's um, perfect climate. They call it the land of eternal spring. Perfect spring-like weather because it's at an altitude like Quito. The, Quito is the capital city, second highest capital city in the world after La Paz, Bolivia. But it sits at 9,300 feet. So even though it's at the equator, and I go there in the summer every year, it's it's cool. So it's like spring-like temperatures all year round, like low to mid-70s during the day, high 50s at night, Fahrenheit. So it's perfect weather, beautiful country, friendly people, decent infrastructure. It's not not the United States as far as roads and stuff. And it's not a huge country. It's, it's about the size of Nevada, maybe. Mm-hmm. And population of only 13 million people so it's it's relatively a pretty small country and not super developed but i like that you feel like you're in a different world and for me the big a big draw was that it's a fairly low actually quite a low cost of living too so once you're down there and you fly down there the cost of living and operating while you're there is very low and manageable so for somebody that's a freelancer for example that can maybe maybe does have a portable business that wants to, that can operate their business anywhere. Like say you've got clients in the United States or in the UK or in Europe or something or Australia, but you live in Ecuador where the cost of living is really low. You can really, you can really maximize your earnings and, uh, and save a lot of money versus living in Austin, Texas or New York or Chicago or something. So anyway, so a lot of reasons why I like Ecuador, but those are, those are some of the reasons why I really like Ecuador and over I've spent a total of 26 weeks there so far and I've, I've led tours down there and I've got another one coming up this summer. You know, the, the, the allure, the magic hasn't worn off. I'm still as enamored with it as I was the first time. I just love it. The, you know, the historical center, the history, the, the nature, the volcanoes, the, the rainforest, the jungle, the Amazon river basin jungle area. It's got a little bit of everything. So Sounds nice. a lot of reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's one of the nice things for a freelancer just starting off that that's just making, you know, you know, a couple hundred dollars a month, five, six, seven hundred dollars a month is that they can go to a place like Ecuador. They don't need their full time job in the U.S. to support themselves. They can go to a country like Ecuador or even Thailand and they can survive comfortably on, you know, just a a meager income from their from their freelancing. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I recommend to everybody. I mean, if you're if someone has the spirit of adventure in them and they like traveling, I just I really recommend kind of getting off the beaten path and checking out places that aren't like overly discovered or haven't become like total hotspots yet. I mean, I know there's like some digital nomad hotspots that are really popular. Personally, I don't necessarily want to go where everybody else is gravitating toward. I want to go to places that are still kind of under the radar and a little bit off the grid. And I would prefer to go places where I'm not going to see a bunch of Americans, a bunch of North Americans, you yeah. know? No, I, I understand. So. Uh, everybody's got their own different way of things. What I found is that the longer you spend overseas, the more you actually want to meet up with some Americans every so often just to kind of have it be like home, just just a taste of home. Oh, absolutely. That too. Yeah, for sure. You know, I can understand when you when you first go overseas, you know, you want the complete experience, the I'm I don't know what I'm doing. I don't understand the language maybe. I don't know where anything is and just the adventure of just discovering things is amazing. Right. Yeah. As you've indicated, I'm big on talking up Ecuador. People know that I love it. And I've really uh, turned a lot of people onto the idea, although there's still a lot of people that have said, oh, yeah, I'm going I'm to go there. I'm going to go there. I'm going to go there. And, and then they don't, they don't, and they don't. And so that's one of the reasons why I started doing these tours, because I'm like, okay, maybe they're not going to do it by themselves. But if I lead a tour, maybe they'll come with me. So I've gotten a bunch of people to come along on my tour and introduce them to Ecuador where they might not have gone by themselves. So. That's cool. That's great to get people out because some people just need that, you know, little nudge just to get them to get out of their safety zone, their comfort zone, and just go out yeah. and see and do something that they just wouldn't have otherwise done. Yeah, for sure. Your group is the Cafe Writer. Yes. You do a lot of writing in cafes, especially in the States, Wisconsin, where you live. Do you do that in Ecuador too? or And, and if you do, how is it different in a coffee shop there as opposed to in the Midwest? Ah, good question. Yeah, so here in, I live just outside of Madison, Wisconsin, um, capital city, and uh, I've got two coffee shops that I frequent here. One's a local independent place. It's in this old Victorian house, real chill, laid back, cool setting. Everybody there is kind of a mix of people, but everybody's got their laptop and their work. And I do have a Starbucks that I work out of too because they have longer hours and stuff than the independent shop. But as far as when I'm in Ecuador, yeah, I found two coffee shops that that I really like in Ecuador. Um, one is called El Español and one is called Juan Valdez, like <laughs> the old coffee commercials, Juan Valdez. And I don't know if there's any relation or tie-in, but th that's actually where I wrote my book. So in those two coffee shops in Quito, Ecuador, that's where I wrote my entire book, The Freelancer Manifesto. I wrote it by hand in notebooks at these coffee shops. And one of the reasons I did that is I actually, I think better and I write better and I create better writing by hand than composing on the keyboard. But the other thing you asked about, is there any difference between coffee shops there and here? The one difference in Ecuador is people go to coffee shops to do two things. They drink coffee and they talk to each other. They don't go there to work on their laptops. It's very interesting. So people in, I don't know, maybe they have laptops and stuff and they, and they certainly have phones. They have smartphones, iPhones have made it to Ecuador. But the difference is you just don't see people glued to their devices the way you do here. And you would never, you, like you would never go to a coffee shop in Ecuador and, you know, pull out your MacBook Pro and plug it in and, and work on a laptop in a coffee shop. That would be like a total like social 
situation faux pas you you just would not do it because you'd be the only one and people would be looking at you weird like what are you doing it'd be, it'd be like bringing your laptop to a fancy restaurant here and whipping out your laptop that's kind of the equivalent so <laughs> so it's a little different but they have coffee shops and same kind of chill vibe you know where you can just sit and hang out and if you tip them well they'll let you sit there for hours and i do enjoy the coffee shop culture down there too it's not quite as heavy as it is here but it's it's starting to catch on yeah, I knew that there are uh, people down in South America, Central America, they're, they're a very social people, much more so than I think America or even a lot of European countries. Do you happen to speak Spanish? I do. At one time... Well, that's helpful. Yeah, it is. Um, at one time I was almost fluent, but I've kind of lost it, you know, but I, I still get by pretty well. Ecuador is a country where it's very useful to speak Spanish. It's there's not a lot of people that speak English. It's not like Mexico or Costa Rica where you can probably find quite a few more people that speak English. It, it really helps to know Spanish to get by in Ecuador. So it helps. But, you know, I know people that don't speak Spanish that have gone there and gotten by just fine. But, yeah, it's certainly helpful. And I'm, I'm always trying to work on my Spanish, too. I have a little book that I go through every night, and I talk to myself out loud in Spanish a lot, and I try to think and write in Spanish sometimes, too. So I'm always working on it. It's a it's a struggle. I I know trying to learn a foreign language myself, it it takes a lot of time. Yeah, yeah. So you wrote in your book about hanging out in coffee shops in Ecuador. It's given you a lot of time to think about a purpose in life. Have you been able to find a, a, a purpose? Mm, man, that's a good question. Yeah. So I, I'd say I, I've got a few things, and these are kind of big, overarching ideas, I guess. But one is that I really I really want to continue helping people build a business that they can operate from anywhere. This is the main reason I became a copywriter 10 years ago. It wasn't to make a lot of money, although that's worked out pretty well. But the main reason was to be able to travel at will and spend more time with my family on my terms. And so I needed something that was location independent, time independent. So I, I really want to help people build business that they can operate from anywhere. So that that's one thing. And that was kind of my original purpose in creating the Cafe Writer Group, too. But second of all, and this this kind of ties in with that, but I, I really want to help people get their message out into the world more. I think it's it's important from a personal branding standpoint these days to stand out more than ever. There's a lot of noise out there. So I'm a big advocate of writing a book. I've actually helped a number of people write their books. I've written the forewords for a couple books. So another one of my purposes in life is really helping people get their story out into the world. And I think the best way to do that, in my estimation, is by writing a book. Whether that's for business or personal reasons, I think everybody should write a book. So that's one. And then just one more is just, and this is probably the, the, the biggest one, is just I, I really want to open people's eyes to the idea of living abroad. Not just traveling, but actually living abroad. And you know this because you've traveled a lot, Bill, but there, there's a lot of amazing places to live outside of the United States where the weather is better, the cost of living maybe is lower, the overall standard and style of living is better. People think the United States is the best country in the world, and in some ways it is or at least it used to be, and I, I, I love the United States, I really do. But there are lots of places where you can live a very pleasant life on less money than it takes here and experience more of the world. And so I just want to, I want to open people's ideas to the idea of traveling, first of all, but also just 
living abroad, one of the things that we, the, some of the people that come on my trips to Ecuador actually use it as a scouting trip. I had a few people last year and a few people that are coming on my trip this year are using it not just to go on the tour, on the Ecuador tour and experience Ecuador, but they're actually using it and staying a few extra days to actually really check Ecuador out and think, hmm, would this be a possible place that we could settle, you know, maybe permanently once, you know, once we're done working. So, mm-hmm. Overall, and I guess all of those, all of those things combined, the helping people build a business, helping people get their message out into the world with a book, opening people's eyes up to the idea of living abroad. I guess, I guess you could summarize all three of those in this. I, I want to help people live more vibrant, profitable, adventurous lives and shift their thinking about the status quo. You know, just kind of question the way things are and think, hmm, does it have to be that way? No, I could live abroad. That's what I want to help people do. I want to just help people think about things differently, question the status quo, and then go out and do things that most people don't think about doing, whether that's writing books, starting a business, or living abroad. Yeah, I think that's a great answer. I I tell people this the same uh, always. I'm like, you just, just go. Plan a trip. South America, Central America. It's very inexpensive, especially if you're from the U.S. Yeah, uh, you you just fly there, spend a week, spend two weeks there. It's not going to cost nearly what you think it's going to cost. Uh, even if you don't know the language, you still got things like Google Maps to help you, Google Translate to communicate with the, the locals. There are so many ways that technology can enhance your your life now abroad that you you shouldn't have the fear. And I find that some people's excuses for not going is is like a xenophobia. They're just afraid of, of other people or they think that everybody hates America now and and it's really not the case my experience abroad is that people almost always are super friendly and super happy to help if there's any problem yeah I've, I've found the same thing and you know this idea that everybody around the world hates America now and this and that yeah I haven't found that to be true either and and here here's the thing that I find when I'm in Ecuador and maybe you find it too where you are is that people around the world don't think about the United States as much as we think they do. <laughs> we are not, I agree. We are not, you know, we may think this because we live here and we're immersed in the news and the culture and bombarded with all the messages every day about what's going on in the administration and politics and all this stuff, but we're not this, you know, yeah, we're a global superpower and all that, but we're not this, we're, we're really not the center of the world. There's 7 billion people on this planet. Most of them are just thinking about themselves and their family and their work and the people they care about and things that they do every day. They're not thinking about the United States or who's in the White House or what's happening. They, they, they don't care. And when I'm in it, this, exactly. this is another thing when I'm in Ecuador, what I, you know, one thing I like about it down there is I don't hear about it and I don't really care. I don't even tune in. I don't even check on the internet. I don't even care what's going on for like a month or two months, however long I'm down there for. I don't even care what's going on here. And it's just nice to be like in a different world and, and nobody else cares either. And I can, I can fit in there and and actually, people don't even really realize I'm from the United States. One of the things that you know I kind of pride myself on is that people can't usually guess where I'm from. When I speak Spanish, I have a pretty good accent, and I don't act like or talk like the typical American. So they're like, they don't know where I'm from, and the, frankly, they don't really care. I just try to mix in and blend in. So, but yeah, I think I, I think you're right, though, Bill. A lot of people don't travel and don't check out these options because they're they are kind of afraid of what's out there and other cultures and other places that they haven't been to but man people just you just got to get out there and you realize that people are people wherever you go you know 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they have the same wants and fears and needs as you do, and they're they're not thinking about America, America, America. <laughs> no, they're, they're thinking about their lives and. You know, I have to pay. I have to pay my rent. Yeah. Uh, my car broke down. I have to fix this. Where am I going to get money for that? My job. They, they think about the same things as everybody else. They're not focused on America and hating. You know, a specific country. Exactly. Exactly. That I wish more people would understand that. And I, I think the more you travel and get out, the more you, the more you do. But yeah, absolutely. You were talking about writing a book, and your last book, you you decided not to do an ebook. You decided to actually uh, print a book. What do you think about for other people? Is that the best way to go in this day and age, or do you think that uh, people need to be more flexible? Uh, and, and why did you decide not to do an, an ebook version? I think in general, I mean, I think Amazon Kindle, you know, publishing. I, I self-published on Amazon, so I mean, it, I didn't go through a publishing house. I didn't get a. I'd love. I wish I would have, but I didn't get some big six-figure advanced publishing deal from a major publishing house. I self-published, but I did decide to do it in print only. I am going to be going into the studio probably next month or in June to finally do an audio version. I'm going to put it out on Audible. I still haven't decided about the Kindle thing. I think eventually I will, but for me, it was just a strategic business decision. I've got a pretty big Facebook group of 9,500 people. I've got a pretty big email list. I've got a pretty big community. And I wanted to maximize the print sales first. And I just, I don't know, it was just kind of a strategic decision. I I almost wanted to make it not real easy to get. You know, there's ways to to kind of work the Kindle system where you can price it at a certain amount or give it away for free for a certain amount of time, build up the reviews, all this stuff. There's all kinds of stuff, ways you can kind of game the system to create a bestseller for yourself and sell a lot of books. My goal with the book was not to, so I guess it depends on what your goal is. If your goal is to become a bestseller and sell a lot of books and make a lot of money selling those books, yeah, for sure, put it out in Kindle. My goal with the book was really to build my, to use it to build my business. So sprinkled throughout my book are references to my website. There's ways for, I've got, I've built up my email list because of my book. That was my goal to use the book to, to lead to other things. And it's, and it's worked. It, it's paid off in that way. It's helped me get coaching clients. It's helped people come to my workshops and retreats. It's gotten people on my email list. So, um, and I've actually got plans now to really go all out with some book marketing funnels, continuing with the print book. One thing I would tell people is that if your if your goal with a book is to kind of use it to build a business, build your email list, build your business and, and sell some of your other products and services, a book is far and away the best lead generation tool in 2019, bar none, than, than anything else. And I've been hearing this from a lot of big marketers recently, over and over. I've been to a few big conferences recently, and I've had a number of people say that a print, this sounds strange in 2019 because we're in a digital world, but a print book is the best lead generation tool. So you, we've all seen the free book plus shipping offers where somebody offers a free book and you just pay the $5.95 or $6.95 for shipping and then they ship the book to you. So that's what I'm going to be doing with my book and I've done that on a small basis so far, but I'm going to be going all out with that. So um, so that was kind of my, my decision to do it in print only was really a strategic decision to because of what I wanted to do with it and the goals that I had. But there's a, a lot of ways that you can make a lot of money on Kindle too. I know people that write, you know, fiction books on Kindle that crank out a book every three months. And I know people that are making six figures a year 
by selling, you know, by writing three, four, five books a year and selling them mostly on or strictly on Kindle, not even putting them in print. So hmm. there's there's all kinds of different ways to do things, and it just depends on what what your long term plan is and what the goal is for the book. Yeah, uh, unfortunately for me, traveling as much as I do, living abroad, the luxury of a physical book is just not something I can really have anymore. <clears throat> yeah, I, I need the Kindle just because everything just fits on my tablet or my laptop. I, I don't have to carry around an extra pound worth of, of paper country to country. Right, right. Yeah, there, there definitely is something to be said for that. So this is this is one thing that I gotta. I'm a little bit conflicted on, Bill, because here I just talked about earlier about my minimalist philosophy, and now I'm talking about print books. The two don't really go hand in hand, do they? <laughs> Not so much. Yeah. I do have a Kindle too, by the way, and I do I do use I do read Kindle books, and I I'm going to be little by little kind of decreasing my physical library and going my goal is actually to be at almost completely paperless office within about a year or two so i'm slowly working toward that myself but for now i'm still using the print book myself <laughs> continuing along this line of, of minimalism and everything you've had multiple trips to south america one of them where you've stayed for about 10 weeks you've done several months of backpacking in europe have you ever thought about making the full leap to being an actual expat living up abroad i know your children are, are at the age now where that could be possible yeah, it, it is. It's something I've thought about for a number of years, actually. And I've been kind of, you know, and this is why I've been been kind of testing the waters. And besides Ecuador, I mean, I've, I've gone to Argentina, I've checked out Uruguay. I've been to Europe a few times. I don't think I would settle in Europe. Probably I'm really drawn to South America. But yes, I have thought about making the full, full leap to being an expat. Um, Ecuador, of course, is tops on my list. And Probably in the next year or two, I plan to actually buy property down there, buy like an apartment or a house or a condo in Quito, Ecuador, the capital. And um, and then really what my plan is, is probably at least for the next five years or so to kind of split my time back and forth between being here in the States and being down there. I'm not quite at a point where I can do it full time only because I've got four kids. I've got two in college and one's graduating from college next month and then next fall i'm actually going to have three kids in college and they'll be in school for the next four years so the four years from now until may of 2023 i'm going to have kids in school in college and once i get them settled then i can maybe do it on a more regular basis but here as much as i love traveling and as much as i want to settle in ecuador and being expat at this point, none of my four kids do, and I don't blame them. I mean, they're young, and they've you know they've got a lot of things they want to do here. Um, so mm -hmm. they they don't join me in my enthusiasm for living abroad. They they like Ecuador, and they've all been to Ecuador, but they don't they don't share my enthusiasm for living down there. But but yes, I actually I actually do. I plan to. Um, and then little by little, you know, you know, I'll, I'll probably always keep a home base here, but um, just to see family and friends. But I, I probably will spend more than half my time out of the country okay. in the near future. Yeah, I know one of the nice benefits of, of being out of the country for close to a year, about 11 months, is that you, you do get a significant tax write-off. It's, yeah. it's like a 330 days out of a 365, and you just don't pay uh, income tax. 
which is nice on the first something like 90,000. Right, right. Yeah, that's, yeah. So that's something I've thought about too. And that, and I'm aware of that situation. So, um, so yeah, that's another factor too, you know, um, you know, trying to minimize my uh, tax burden here and in whatever way I can legally to do that, I'm going to take advantage of that too. And that, you know, to be honest, that's part of my long-term planning too. And one of the reasons why Ecuador is at the top of my list is just, it is a place where your money just goes further. And mm-hmm. if I'm making a certain amount and got a certain amount socked away for in, in investments and stuff for a rainy day, it's just going to go a lot further if I'm spending more of my time down there than living here. Even Wisconsin, people might think, well, you're in a small town and you're in Wisconsin. Well, we actually, we're, we're like the ninth highest overall tax burden state in the United States. So, mm-hmm. um, so we have, so it's, it's a consideration. So financially and tax wise, you know, all these, aside from all the other things we talked about earlier, reasons for traveling and possibly settling out of the country, certainly the financial considerations are there too. Well, to wrap up the show, what advice would you give to somebody who was thinking about becoming a, a freelancer or an expat? I would say, as far as being a freelancer, I would say do it, but don't like jump off a cliff. If you got a job and it's a good job and you can kind of slowly transition into the freelance life, you, here's the thing. People, people don't always realize it's not an either or proposition. It's not like, do you have a job or do you freelance? A lot of people do what, you know, people give it different terms, a side hustle, a side gig, you know, while you're working you can little by little build up a, a, a freelance business, a side business. And then once you see it as a viable thing where you're going to make some decent money, then make make the transition and make the leap and leave your job. But, but I would just say on the freelance thing, don't test the waters and make sure that um, make sure that it is the right thing because it's not for everybody. So take it slow and just have a have a game plan. I'd say on that as far as being an expat. Again, that's something too. You don't have to like decide, hey, am I going to, you don't have to do it all at once. What I would say is check out different places, you know, maybe, you know, look at sites like internationalliving.com or, you know, look at, uh, you know, but start checking out other countries and maybe go there on a vacation to start with and then maybe go on a longer extended month long trip and see if you could actually do it. And a lot of people, as much as they like traveling, they, they can't stand being away from home for more than a week or two. And it's just not, they're not cut out for it. But if you can be away from home for a month or two without thinking about home constantly and just being totally at peace with leaving your house behind and your family and your friends and your connections and going somewhere different and really soaking in that new place for a month or two, yeah, then then that might be something to consider. But I would just say on both fronts, freelancing, being an expat, this would be my sent off messages that it's a big world out there and an exciting world. There's so many cool things you can do and so many cool places to check out. Don't limit yourself. Don't limit yourself in your thinking to what have you done before? Where have you lived? Just realize that there's, we're in a different world and there's, and the one opportunity of freelancing opens up the other opportunity to be an expat even more. So the two go, they go hand in hand. But I would just say, have an open-minded, adventurous mind and spirit and uh, just think about the possibilities and don't limit yourself and just check out the possibilities. That's what I would say. That's a great answer. All right. Well, like uh, we talked about before, I'm going to have a giveaway uh, on the website, uh, which I'll have in the uh, a- in, after the show. I'll uh, have an outro, which will 
to talk about how people can enter the contest. We'll be giving away three copies of your book. Excellent. That I'll send to, to anyone who, uh, who, who wins. Um, where can people find out more about you, Steve? Uh, your business, your your Facebook group, any anything like that? Yes. Where do you hang out? Certainly, if you if you just Google me, Steve Roller, you'll find you'll find where to go. But on Facebook, uh, I have a a lively, engaged, friendly, helpful group for freelancers for writers called Cafe Writers. So if you go to Facebook, I think it's Facebook.com/slash. It used to be called Copywriter Cafe, so it might the URL might be that, but just look up Cafe Writer on Facebook, big group. Um, my website is also called Cafe Writer, and there's a lot of information there. Got a couple hundred blog posts up there. You can read a lot about me and find out more about me there. And then my Ecuador site is EcuadorExcursion.com. EcuadorExcursion.com. It kind of tells you a little bit more about, even if you don't have any desire to come on my trip, but you're kind of interested in Ecuador. I've got a lot of Ecuador facts and information about Ecuador there. So it's a good place to get some information about that. And then uh, finally, my book is on Amazon, and that's called The Freelancer Manifesto, 11 Big Ideas to Stand Out and Thrive in the New Economy. So you can find me on Amazon, my Facebook group, my websites. And if anybody ever has any questions, I'm just, I'm real open to um, hopping on a phone call or a Zoom call with people. If people have questions about freelancing or about Ecuador or about the expat life or going down one of these paths, I'm always open to just jumping on a quick call or, you know, answering questions by email. I I really like, I really enjoy helping people. So um, feel free to reach out to me in any way. Great. I appreciate everything here, Steve. Uh, That's super. Um, I guess that wraps up the show. Is there anything else that you wanted to, to include uh, before we before we officially wrap it up? No, I think that's it. You know, I really, I really Bill, I really appreciate your time. You, um, you're a good interviewer, and you you asked some really thought provoking questions here that made me think um, <laughs> some things that I had that I don't you know think about or answer every day when I'm talking to people. So this was really enjoyable. I enjoyed it, and I hope people, I hope your listeners get um, some good ideas from this, and uh, just. I would just encourage everybody to, like I said, just think differently. Don't accept the status quo and what most people are doing. Be different. Go, you know, just do things that are a little bit different outside the norm, whether it's business or traveling or both. Yeah, it's great advice. Uh, I, I, I can't say it enough to people. I, I try and encourage everyone I can to, to, to do it. If, if, it's, if it's within their means, do it. Yeah. You won't regret it. Yeah. For the most majority of people, you won't regret it. Exactly, for sure. So anyway, so thank you, Bill. Hey, I'm just jumping in after the show to tell you about the book giveaway that we're doing for Steve's book. If you're interested in winning one of the three copies of the book, check out the show notes under this podcast. If you're not listening to this podcast from my website, you can find the show notes at the-expat.com slash podcast slash episode dash zero one. There, you can also find a link to Amazon where you can purchase the book if you don't want to wait for the giveaway to be over. A quick note about the giveaway. We will need your email address just so we can contact the winners. While I would like everyone to sign up for my newsletter, by entering the contest, you are not signing up for my newsletter. If you never actually sign up for my newsletter, the only other time that you'll hear from me is after the giveaway ends, letting you know that we've picked a winner. If you wanted to join the newsletter, you still can. If you don't, your email will be deleted and you'll never hear from me again. I hate spam as much as you do, and I'm not about to start sending it.
I want to thank Steve Roller again for being such an amazing guest, and I hope that anyone interested will pick up a copy of his book or check out his freelancing and copywriting Facebook group, Cafe Writer. There's also a link to that in the show notes. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for listening to the Expat Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to leave a review on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to visit us at the-expat.com. <laughs>